You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Ladies and gentlemen and folks, I present the case of MJT versus DIL, DOS, Marjorie Taylor Green versus Dildos, round two. Green tweeted up a storm over the weekend about some dildos for sale at a Walmart in her congressional district in Georgia. At Walmart, many of your customers in my district are reaching out to me about sex toys being sold in your Dalton store, Green's tweet storm begins. They're extremely upset and absolutely horrified that sex toys are being sold openly right next to children's toothbrushes. This is grooming. Okay, first, this is not grooming. Grooming, the action of attempting to form a relationship with a child or young person or the child's family with the intention of sexually assaulting that child. Grooming is what youth pastors do in church basements in Green's district. What Walmart is doing is stocking product placement, not like in the movies, but in the literal sense of products being placed on shelves in stores. There's a photo that Green included in her tweet, and it would appear that Walmart, based on that one photo allegedly taken at that one store in Green's district, it would appear that a small and rather sad selection of vibrators and a couple of bottles of lube was placed on a very high shelf right next to a selection of children's toothbrushes, which are also on a very high shelf. You've heard of wardrobe malfunctions. This looks like a stocking malfunction. And as much as I hate to concede anything to Marjorie Taylor Greene, if I was stocking shelves at Walmart or managing a Walmart, I wouldn't put the vibrators and a few sad tubes of lube next to children's toothbrushes. Which raises a question. Who did that? It's clear to me who's benefiting from that having been done, and that's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Greene is benefiting politically from picking a fight with a large corporation, Walmart, kind of like Ron DeSantis benefited from picking a fight with the Disney Corporation. Republicans used to be the party of big business and free trade and open borders. The Wall Street Journal, National Review, they were for open borders before they were against them. But now the GOP is the party of white grievance and never-ending culture wars, and there is no better way to signal to the GOP's lunatic base that you are leading the party of white grievance and culture wars. No better way for an ambitious GOP politician to appeal to the GOP's lunatic base than by accusing a company like Walmart or Disney of, as Green does in her tweet storm, sexualizing children. More from Green's tweet storm. I don't care how big your corporation, how much money you have, how powerful your lobby is, how big and powerful your political influence is. I just don't care who you are. I will always stand firmly for what is right and do everything I can to protect kids. That's a lie. Walmart sells guns, lots of guns, and Green opposes all efforts to regulate guns. She opposes banning AR-15s, and she opposes waiting periods and red flag laws and licensing and training. Protect kids? Guns are now the leading cause of death for children under the age of 18 in the United States. We are the only industrialized nation where guns are the leading cause of death for children. 
If Green cared about protecting kids, she would jump on that instead of jumping on the nearest dildo. Uh, Backing up, I haven't answered my own question, I realize. Who did that? Who put those dildos there next to the children's toothbrushes? Green's clearly benefiting politically from this product placement, but who did it? Who placed the products at the risk of being called a dildo truther? I think they were moved there for the purpose of taking those pictures. You've heard of crisis actors? Meet the crisis shelvers or reshelvers. Walmart does sell dildos. Most big box stores do. Dildos and vibrators. But someone went in there and moved those vibrators next to the children's toothbrushes and took that picture and sent it to Marjorie Taylor Greene so she could blow up about it on Twitter and reap the political rewards. Or maybe somebody moved those children's toothbrushes. If you've seen the photo, those children's toothbrushes are up there on the top shelf next to the vibrators. And if You know anything about retail? Brightly colored stuff for kids is usually placed on a low shelf at eye level for kids, whereas things for adults, things like vibrators, are up on higher shelves. I mean, if late-stage capitalism is good at anything, it's good at made you look. It's good at directing our eyes where late-stage capitalists want them to go, and they want kids to see the sugary cereals, so they're on lower shelves, and they want grown-ups to see the granola and bran flakes, so they're on higher shelves. Granola and bran flakes are still pretty sugary since this is America, where everything gradually morphs into the dessert it most closely resembles. Granola bars became candy bars, muffins became cupcakes, bagels became donuts. Another of my conspiracy theories that I will put a pin in for now. All right, back to those dildos or vibrators at that Walmart. Seems to me something fishy is going on here. Vibrators for horny adults, top shelf. Buzz Lightyear toothbrushes for toddlers, bottom shelf. How did those two products wind up side by side? I do not think it was an accident. Again, call me a dildo truther if you want. You can call me the Alex Jones of children's toothbrushes. This was no accident. But let's game this out for a second. Let's worst case scenario this. A kid comes down that aisle with his mom looking for a toothbrush. Now, I don't think I've ever seen a child carefully peruse the oral hygiene aisle, but let's say a kid picked out the Little Mermaid toothbrush and then saw the box with the vibrator in it that says plus one Lux dual massager on it. And let's say that kid looked at his mom and asked, what's that? Any decent parent knows what to do at a moment like that. Lie. You lie to your kid. I don't think we spend near enough time talking about what a skilled liar you have to be to parent effectively, especially when your kids are small. Santa is real. Grandma is in heaven. Those gummy bears are just for mommy because they have vodka in them. So your kid sees the box with the vibrator in it and asks, what's that? You say nothing. Or you say it's an electric fly swatter or a tiny vacuum cleaner. It's a mixer. Or you tell the lie that the people making vibrators have been telling us for a century or more. That's for sore muscles. When your kid is old enough to know when you're lying, your kid is old enough to know what a sex toy is. And when he asks to have what a sex toy is explained to him or her or them, you can at that moment explain it in a thoughtful an age-appropriate manner. All right, coming up on the micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love, more calls, 
more questions, more answers, more guests, no ads. Comedian Matteo Lane drops by. We talk about MUDs, people who are monogamous under duress. And in this week's Savage Love, advice from a straight male cuckold who's living the dream for a man who wants his wife to cuckold him. And some advice for a lesbian who's extremely annoyed at young gay men who use the C word and P word when referring to their a-holes. All that coming up. And hey, happy holidays, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Field, a dating app where the open-minded can meet the like-minded. Download Field for free and get access to a free month of Majestic membership by going to feeld.co slash savage. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. Rocket Money is the easiest way to manage your expenses, cancel unwanted subscriptions, lower your monthly bills, and track your spending all in one place. Go to rocketmoney.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by omgyes.com, a website devoted to women's pleasure. Check it out and get a discount when you go to omgyes.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-30s cis man living in the Western U.S., and I have a question for you about height in dating and relationships. For backgrounds, my partner of eight years and I recently split, but before we did, we opened up our relationship last year primarily for her to explore her bisexuality. And it was really great. We had some wonderful times with good people and really enjoyed being in an open relationship. Some problems started to show up when we saw people on our own. And I began to notice how much more attention that she got from both men and women than what I was receiving. And it made me think about my height for the first time in a long time. We ended up splitting up for a variety of reasons, but now that I'm single and dating, the height issue is even more of a problem. See, I'm attractive, fit, fairly successful, and have a decent personality, but unfortunately, I am five foot four, which is an absolute no-go for a majority of women. I'll go on dates, have a great night, and a couple days later, get a text saying, Hey, sorry, just want to be friends. And I can't help but to think that my height has something to do with that. So anyway, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on this issue and any advice you have for dealing with it. And also, is this a thing in the gay community? Zendaya is famously taller than Tom Holland. She's just two inches taller. She's 5'10", he's 5'8". But add in a pair of heels and she is a lot taller than he is on red carpets. And it's not a problem for them. And it shouldn't be. But it's enough of a problem, or height discrimination is enough of a problem, particularly in heterosexual dating circles, that they've done a lot of interviews about it. It's one of the first things that when they're profiled, they're very famous celebrity couple, it's almost always the first thing that comes up. It's almost always the lead. So rare is it to see a shorter man with a taller woman or just a relationship, not necessarily a short man, five, eight ain't short, but a relationship where there's a height difference and it's the guy who's shorter than the woman. That's so rare that people talk about it. Here I am talking about it. Height discrimination is an issue. There's been a lot of pixels expelled all over the internet. We used to say barrels of ink spilled, but not so much anymore. A lot of pixels pixelated all over the internet talking about 
just this. And the issue of height discrimination, where women prefer men who are six foot tall or taller, whereas the average male is five foot nine, and a guy's marketability decreases as his height does, this has really been exacerbated by online dating, where people can ask for people's heights, or people are expected to share their heights, or men who are the right height will put that out there as a selling point, and then Women won't give a guy a chance who's honest about his height or, you know, whose height is listed. People can even filter their dating app results by preferred heights. And that's going to knock you out of consideration. That doesn't mean that every woman that you've been on a really great first date with or really great so far as you were able to tell who rejected you, who said they just wanted to be friends or they didn't want to have a second date as much as they enjoyed the first date, it doesn't mean that every single one of them rejected you because of your height. It is, of course, Occam's razor possible that many of them or some of them or a few of them did, but what are you going to do? You're going to keep dating. You're going to keep putting yourself out there. You're going to keep finding women that you want to go on dates with, who want to go on dates with you, and eventually one of them will, it'll not be an issue. One of them will be a Zendaya, who isn't obsessed with having a boyfriend or a potential future husband who is taller than she is. Or one of them is going to be the kind of woman who wants to be with a man who's a little smaller than she is. I'm not going to shine you on. Five foot four is a disadvantage in heterosexual dating. The disadvantage also in gay dating lands, I don't think there's as much height discrimination in gay land because somebody's got to be taller. It's really rare that you see two guys together who are the exact same height in a gay relationship. Someone's going to be shorter and it's not always the bottom who's the shorter one, but it is a problem for straight guys. And the only fixes to you know, everybody has advantages, everybody has disadvantages, is to keep putting yourself out there, keep dating, find the people who are into you despite your height, mm, not as good as people who are into you maybe because of your height, or women who find your height irrelevant. There are also lots of women out there who are five foot, five foot one, five foot two, five foot three, five foot four, and wear flats that you could date, where you would be the taller person in that relationship. You're in your mid-30s. You had a girlfriend for eight years. You sound like someone who's met with some romantic success in the past. I'm sorry that this has been frustrating for you, putting yourself back out there. But what other choice do you have than to put yourself back out there? And it is a truism about open relationships that it is easier for the woman in an opposite-sex open relationship to line up additional partners than it is for a man in an opposite-sex open relationship. And that is true regardless of height. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Field, a dating app where the open-minded can meet the like-minded. Field is a great place for you, for my listeners, and for all other people who are curious about their sexualities and ready to explore their identities. If you're looking for more than what conventional dating apps offer, Field might be for you. As the largest dating community of progressive folks across the globe, Field connects the curious with the open-minded. 
Field has built a community where awesome, ethical, and honest people can explore their desires without judgment and design their relationships. The app is inclusive to all, no matter your gender or orientation. When you join, you can choose from more than 20-plus sexual and gender identity options. Field really values sex positivity and encourages you, encourages you to share your desires and your interests right there on your profile so that people know what you're into. How many times have you heard me take questions from people who were wondering and worrying about whether or not they should include their kinks on their dating profiles or the dating apps or hookup apps that they're on? At Field, you're encouraged to do just that. From cuddling and long kissing to BDSM and Shibari, you can be open from the start and connect with like-minded people. Since the pandemic, field members have expressed an increased desire to connect on an emotional and cultural level rather than just a purely sexual one. And through field, you can find ways to share softness, tenderness, and kinkiness all at your own pace. With radical open-mindedness designed into the app, you can share freely about your sexuality at field, no matter how vanilla or kinky you might be. Nonconformity and shame-free individuality is what field is all about. For a limited time, listeners of the Savage Lovecast will receive a free month of Field's Majestic membership when you download the app for the first time. Go to field.co slash savage or use the link in the show notes to download Field for free and get access to your free month of Majestic membership at Field. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Go to feeld.co slash savage. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to speak with Alex Hall, co-founder and host of The Bottoms Digest, the world's first bottom-friendly food channel. Hey, Alex. Hello, Dan. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, Welcome to the show. So, world's first bottom-friendly food channel. How many other bottom-friendly food channels have crowded into the market since you guys (laughs) launched? You know, I'm actually pretty surprised. None so far. I actually really would love some people to tag in and help. It's a lot of work to test all these recipes and stuff. But yeah, so far, not too many. I haven't seen any. So I've been looking through the recipes on your website. What makes banana bread or green bean casserole bottom friendly (laughs) as opposed to bottom hostile? Yeah, good question. So a couple things. The first thing that we try to hit on is obviously fiber. Fiber supplements are good and all that, but it's, in my opinion, better to get fiber through your diet. So we try to get these recipes as high fiber as possible. And secondly, we'll try to eliminate any kind of dairy or any kind of triggering foods for people with IBS, especially. We almost try to use people with IBS as like ground zero. So any kind of like FODMAP foods that are are high FODMAP foods, I mean like... Wait, wait, what? High what foods? High FODMAPs. It's a very long (laughs) scientific term. Yeah, very long acronym for basically the sugars in food that can cause a lot of bloating and gas. So we try to eliminate things like dairy because of the lactose, the high FODMAP foods like onion and garlic, and we just try to navigate those things. So we try to like just make these recipes combat bloating and gas. That's kind of what makes a recipe more bottom-friendly. Quentin Crisp said that a lifetime of listening to dance music is a high price to pay for one's sexual orientation. Seems to me that a lifetime without dairy is a high price to pay for being a bottom, <laughs> does somebody who wants to be a really good, competent, 
anal bottom really have to, I, I understand, you know, a high fiber diet, that's good for everybody. Right. Does somebody who wants to be a bottom who's not lactose intolerant really have to sacrifice cheese? That's totally fair. Absolutely not. Um, so on my channel, we try to say all the time that you, we all have different bodies. You, we all react differently to things. And we also don't really put a lot of spotlight on messes in the bedroom or accidents or anything like that. It's really about body comfort. So if you know that eating cheese and drinking milk and having ice cream and all that doesn't cause you any problems, especially with bloating and gas, then have at it. But this is especially for people with sensitive stomachs, the IBS gangs, the iced coffee drinkers, <laughs> like the people that have been spending a decade fucking up their stomach. This, <laughs> this really helps them out. One of the goals of the Bottom Digest is to erase the idea that bottoms, gay guys who like to be receptive during anal intercourse, can't eat before sex. When did that take off? I don't remember years ago when I first came out, this sort of, I don't remember people standing around talking about eating only ice chips and like glaring at people having Mexican food and accusing them of top privilege. Yeah. I remember going out on dates with, you know, guys I was topping, guys I was bottoming for because everybody was mm-hmm. verse when I was a kid right. <laughs> to Mexican restaurants and then going home and fucking. When did right. this idea that bottoms don't eat before sex take root? I don't know, honestly. And that is so wild to me. My background is actually in reproductive rights. And that's why I found my way into this work because I have spent a long time navigating destigmatizing abortion. And this is kind of the same lane for me is like destigmatizing body harm and starvation and all this, all these like things that queer people keep putting themselves through just to have sex. And half the time it's only like 20 minutes. You've starved all damn day to have 20 to 30 (laughs) minutes sex. So it really, to me in the last couple years, I've really just seen all these like ha ha videos about eating ice, drinking water for the whole day. And it's like, I never starved before having sex, but I also have a really sensitive stomach. So that was kind of like the light bulb moment of like, okay, this could really help other people with sensitive stomachs and sensitive issues and people that just get gassy and bloated from everything they eat because that could be so painful during bottoming. Thanksgiving is behind us. Christmas is coming. Uh, Those are big, starchy, dairy-heavy meals. Uh, You crossed my radar because you gave an interview to Queerty where you talked about (laughs) sort of Thanksgiving recipes that were bottom friendly. And I I read that and I kind of had a reaction because we have like 25 (laughs) people over for Christmas Eve for dinner. And, you know, we want to be sensitive. We want to be good hosts. Preparing separate dishes for the vegetarians and vegans that are on our guest list is already enough work. The idea that now I have to separate everybody out by bottoms and tops (laughs) and have bottom friendly sides – or main dishes uh, in addition to the vegan and vegetarian options? It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, no, it's funny enough. It's a lot of those side dishes actually are already vegan. Um, so that part really is intersectional, <laughs> thankfully. Um, these recipes also really help people with IBS. Well, we, we put bacon in everything. Right? We put bacon yeah. in the creme brulee at our house. So our sides are usually not very vegetarian friendly. <laughs> funny enough, bacon's actually pretty bomb friendly too. But it's... Uh, <laughs> So that's so that's all good. Um, but yeah, the it was so funny doing that article with Query because I when they approached me, I was like, I'm excited to do this. This will be fun. But I will say that like this might ruffle some feathers. But I immediately thought about my days back as a bartender where we all did Friendsgiving. A lot of my coworkers at the gay bar um, didn't go home, and 
In fact, I knew some of them that actually like had Friendsgiving that kind of turned into an orgy, honestly. <laughs> so that to me, this was like a homo- like a hat tip to them doing okay. this. Because <laughs> so like, my ad- you know my standard <laughs> advice before a big meal is to fuck first. Like yeah, <laughs> the assumption with your advice around Thanksgiving dinner was you're going to fuck after. It seems to me crazy that anybody <laughs> would even think about attempting. Anything other than maybe some J.O. after Thanksgiving <laughs> right. dinner or Christmas dinner. Isn't fuck first better Listen, advice? listen. There's 8 billion people on this planet. There's 8, <laughs> eight billion options of things that are going to happen. So to me, it was like, you know, this was a good moment to talk to those people that get very spontaneous. You never know what could happen. And also, I do like to lean on that. Like, if you end up eating more of something that you weren't expecting, especially on the holiday, and you aren't feeling having sex, that is the prime time to go into foreplay or whatever else. Like, don't put yourself in a position that you're going to be uncomfortable. Outer course. Outer course. course. <laughs> we or love a outer course. <laughs> food coma on the couch and fuck. If you don't fuck first, fuck tomorrow. Fuck tomorrow, fuck 48 hours later if tomorrow's not hot because things are starting to finally pass through. Like, you never know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, it's just the article was a way to like speak to those people that weren't maybe not even having Thanksgiving, uh, you know. Because they always got to be ready to go. (laughs) Right. That's that's something else that I'm like, um, I don't know about that. Where can people find you on social? Twitter, Instagram, TikTok? So at Bottom Digest is my handle on all my platforms. And my website is thebottomsdigest.com. You can go there and find our recipes. You can also find our method of how we actually show these recipes to you. We go through a testing process. We develop everything. And then we also slot in a lot of content that's sex ed positive because we believe that even if sex ed was grade A in our school system, it would not have anal sex in there. So we have a lot of sex ed content that's in there about how to douche correctly and how to not overdouche. So we we put a lot of stuff out there like that, too. Alex Hall, co-founder, host of The Bottoms Digest, the world's first bottom-friendly food channel. Thanks for jumping on the internet today. We're not on the phone. We're online. Thanks for jumping on the internet. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, now, something you may or may not know about me is that I can be a bit disorganized. So I knew there was a chance that Terry and I were spending more than we needed to spend on services we'd subscribed to a long time ago and forgotten about, things we wanted once but no longer needed. We got on Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. And by we, I mean Terry because he's the tech-savvy one. He handles the bills. And we, and by we, I mean Terry, we instantly saved $480 a month. And Rocket Money got us an $880 one-time refund from our cable company that shall not be named. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place, and then they cancel for you whatever you don't want anymore. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double-charged for a subscription and get some money back. And it's super easy to cancel a subscription. All you have to do is press cancel, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of those useless subscriptions that you've forgotten about with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash savage. Seriously, you could save hundreds per year like we did. That's rocketmoney.com slash savage. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash savage.
Hi, Dan. 39-year-old poly, mostly cishet guy from the East Coast of the U.S. here with a question about long-term poly relationships and condoms. I've been non-monogamous for most of my sexually active lifetime at this point. For the most part, condoms have been the norm outside of one long-term, long-distance partner and occasionally a few other people where I've had fluid bonds testing between every six months and every two years, depending on how sexually active I've been. About two months before the pandemic, I started seeing someone who would become my anchor partner and cohabitating partner. Now, after we've been living together for two years, fluid bonding, and uh, after I've seen a lot less of my other partners for COVID reasons more than anything else, I'm finding myself dealing with a bit of frustration. When I'm with my non-anchor partners, I don't get or maintain as much arousal, physiologically speaking, when I have to use condoms compared with when I don't. I'd say in the last 10 or so times I've gotten together with a non-anchor partner, I haven't been able to achieve an orgasm through penetration in the majority of those times. And when I have, it's taken two or three times for me to maintain an erection long enough to climax that way. When it makes sense, I try not to climax in the two or three days before I'm seeing a non-anchor partner, but if my anchor partner is making advances, I don't want to say in that moment, no, because I want to be able to come when I'm with somebody else. I feel like we're generally very good about having frank conversations about our needs and desires around other partnerships. But uh, this one feels a little awkward. I feel like it might be easier or more reasonable to draw a line around the day of or night before another date, but two or three days feels like it might be asking too much, even if that's what I feel like most reliably gives me the sort of buildup of arousal I need to get and stay hard enough for condom-required PIV and climax. So the Dan Savage answer I could give myself is to just, as you so often say, use my words, ask for what I need, but I'm calling because I'm wondering if you or any of your guests might have opinions on how common this is or other suggestions on how to deal with it, either alternate ways to treat the issue or any particular tack for talking about it. I just don't know. Is this a common issue for long-term partners when in your main relationship, you don't end up using condoms? Is it a lot harder or am I the weird one? If you're using condoms to prevent pregnancy, you could get a vasectomy. You're 39 years old. I assume that if you want kids, you've had the kids you wanted by this stage in your life. And if you don't want kids, you know you don't want kids at this stage in your life. But if you're using condoms for disease prevention, you're going to have to keep using condoms. Condoms didn't used to be a problem for you in the past. And so maybe this is about you with your primary fluid bonded partner during the pandemic, getting used to never having to use condoms during PIV and your dick just acclimated, or maybe the pandemic, which broke so many people, <laughs> broke so many things, also 
broke your dick, but you're 39 years old now. It could also be a function of age where your erections have become a little less reliable, not because you have to use condoms with your other partners, but because your erections are a little less reliable now that you're 39 years old. I don't want to get in your head. Sometimes erectile dysfunction is psychosomatic, but I think you might want to, you know, not regard correlation as causation here, that you're having a little more difficulty using condoms does correlate strongly with the onset of the pandemic and this, I wouldn't say long dry spell where you're only having sex with your primary partner, but this long wet spell where you're having a lot of sex with your primary partner. But that could be a coincidence. It could just be a factor of aging. So you have the option of deploying ED meds if you don't want to deprive your primary partner of your glorious dick uh, in the run-up to seeing one of your other partners. You can get ED meds for the day of uh, your meetings with your other partners. Also, cock rings can be very helpful when it comes to sustaining that erection. And, you know, if you put on a condom and it you start to lose your erection because, you know, everyone always says, like, there's less sensation with a condom and then nobody notices when the condom breaks or falls off, which I've always regarded as kind of anecdotal evidence, strong anecdotal evidence that there really isn't that much of a difference if you're using the right condom, if it's not too thick or too tight, that there's not much of a difference sensation-wise between condom on, condom off. If there was an enormous difference sensation-wise, people would instantly notice when a condom broke. People don't tend to notice. I have been there. It has happened to me. I've been the person with the condom that broke. I didn't notice right away. I've been the person with somebody whose condom broke and they didn't notice right away. And I don't think that was because they were malicious people trying to stealth me. I think that sometimes just happens. And it points to, yeah, not much of a difference. So I think it's mostly psychological. And if you start to lose your erection with the condom on, pull the condom off, stroke yourself for a while, do something else, get hard again, put that condom back on, or better yet, don't take that condom off, do something else for a minute, stroke yourself, use your hands, dive back in. But if it's physiological, if your dick has just gotten used to no condoms, well, then you're going to have to be firm with your dick and be hard on your dick, hard with your dick, rigid with your dick, and not let your dick veto condoms. Anyway, there are other approaches than, you know, using your words and telling your primary partner you don't want to have PIV with them because you're saving it up so you can stay hard during condom sex, you know, sex where you're having to use a condom with a secondary partner. Your primary partner might not want to hear that. But maybe if you can frame that less as a deprivation for your primary partner, are there other things that your primary partner enjoys? When you have a date coming up with a secondary partner, can you gamify this? Can you make it an erotic, playful game for your primary partner where, you know, there's a 48-hour moratorium on PIV in your relationship with your primary partner? Well, there's lots of other things you can do. Does your primary partner love it when you go down on them for a long time? Does your primary partner like to peg you? Can they participate uh, in the orgasm denial in a way that prioritizes your primary partner's pleasure and orgasms. So there's something in it for your primary partner when you're not 
dicking them down because you're saving the dick for a secondary partner? Can you make it fun and rewarding for your primary partner too? Maybe then if you use your words and present it that way, your primary partner will be psyched about these blackout periods where they don't get to have your dick rather than feeling deprived by these blackout periods where they don't get to have your dick. This episode is brought to you by OMG Yes. Those who continually explore ways to experience and create more pleasure for themselves and their partners are five times likelier to be happier in their relationships. But you know, life can get in the way. Stress, family, busy schedules, up and downs. So much conspires to separate us from prioritizing pleasure and intimacy. OMGYes.com is designed to keep women, men, and couples inspired to increase their intimacy and pleasure solo and together. It's a beautiful and intuitive website where you explore new techniques from the largest ever representative research studies into women's pleasure. This is peer-reviewed, published research, not BS sex tips. You'll see hidden details in hundreds of clarifying animations and tasteful videos where women show techniques on their bodies as comfortably as if they were sharing a recipe. A study out of Indiana University's School of Medicine showed using OMGS for a month had significant large effect increases in pleasure and orgasm solo and with partners. And 95% of users experienced new kinds of pleasure they'd never felt before. L calls OMG Yes the best gift you could ever give yourself. GQ said both of you will reap the benefits. And Men's Health called it remarkable and useful, marvelously in-depth. Get a discount at omgyes.com slash savage. That's omgyes.com slash savage. Show your support for the Lovecast and your relationship by going to omgyes.com slash savage. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a 37-year-old man in the Midwest, and I recently began using they-them pronouns exclusively and identifying as non-binary male. For most of my life, I identified as cis male and used he-him pronouns. My question is about how to tell my parents, to whom I'm pretty close, about this. I'm not worried my parents won't accept it. In fact, I'm confident they ultimately will. That said, they'll definitely have questions specifically about why I'm now identifying this way and why I'm changing my pronouns. And the problem is, the only answer I can give is that I've evolved into a new understanding of who I am and that it just fits better. I can't say if I'm ever going to make any bigger changes, like changing my name or my outward presentation of my gender or anything like that. And I can't say why I understand myself differently now than I did for most of my life. Now, while my wife and my sister, both of whom I've told and are totally cool and supportive, accept that, my parents won't. They think that if someone is going to make a decision like this, that person should have all the answers. Because otherwise, why bother, right? Basically, my parents are terrible at accepting that further information is not available when they think it should be. So here's my question. Is there a script that I can use to tell my parents that I'm now using only they, them pronouns and that I'm still figuring out what it all means in terms of my identity? And that they can ask questions, but the odds of me being able to answer many of them aren't great? I'd love to hear your ideas. Thanks. Come on, do you need a script? You seem perfectly at ease talking about your gender, about your new non-binary identity, and about your pronouns. If your parent, you seem to know that your parents are going to have a lot of questions. Maybe your parents aren't going to have 
many questions. Have you discussed this issue with your parents and uh, as a hypothetical at length? And that's how you anticipate they're going to have tons of questions or not be satisfied with the answers that you have for them? Seems to me that if your wife, of all people, and your sister were satisfied with the answers that you have right now, you've evolved, you have a new understanding of your gender, a non-binary identity, and they, them pronouns just fit better, period, the end of discussion. Your parents can ask a million follow-up questions. It doesn't obligate you to answer them. And you don't need a script. You just need to tell the truth. And if you don't have answers for some of those questions or some of the questions your parents might answer, that's fine too. No, you're not changing anything about your outward gender presentation yet, now, maybe ever. And they'll just have to check in with you again later, or you'll keep them in the loop along with your wife and sister now that you've brought them into the loop. And if they have a lot of annoying questions, or they just want to sit around all day asking questions, and they're not questions that you have answers for, or questions you want to answer, I don't know, hand them a magic eight ball and tell them you'll see them next week when you come over for dinner. But me handing you some pre-written script when you obviously don't need one, you are better at articulating your question than I am at articulating this answer that I'm giving you. Some script that somebody else wrote you don't need that. You seem perfectly capable of having this conversation. And you've already had this conversation with your wife and your sister. I am confident, as I kind of sort of believe you are at some level, confident that you can have this conversation with your parents and shut this conversation down with your parents when you have answered the questions you can and you've identified the questions of theirs that you can't, not yet, not at the moment, and maybe not ever. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's not read the tweets. Let's read an email from a listener instead about the tweets. Dear Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth, in the exhausting continuous drama that is Elon Musk and Twitter, I think it's time to retire your listener tweets segment. Musk's recent tweet simultaneously attacking anyone expressing their gender identity as well as Dr. Fauci. Unspeakable, too far, it's time to go. Listener Tweets has been a fun segment over the years, but it isn't essential to the podcast. You were doing very well before Twitter existed. You will continue to do well without it. That email came before Elon Musk started suspending journalists he didn't like left and right, before he watched the World Cup final in a box with Jared Kushner and the Saudis, and before he started banning people from posting links to their other social media accounts. So yeah, I'm sure you could all tell from the sound of my voice I haven't felt exactly comfortable getting on Twitter lately or reading the tweets on the show. So I'm going to take this listener's advice and I'm going to stop reading the tweets, which is kind of a shame because there were some really good tweets about the show this week. Like Brian's, who tweeted that he was impressed with my knowledge of all the places there are to fuck in a youth hostel. For the record, I haven't been in a youth hostel since I was a youth myself, but I did find lots of creative places to fuck in youth hostels when I was a youth in a youth hostel. And David's tweet. He tweeted about my advice for the mother of the 14-year-old gay kid and how that hit close to home. One part of coming out, David wrote, is telling shitty people who called you a sissy and a fag and spoke your truth before you were ready to speak it. 
that they were right. And that, David tweeted, is hard. All right, forgive me. I just read two tweets, Brian's and David's, but no more tweets. That said, I did really like having two segments on the show where listeners weighed in, response calls and tweets. So I would like something to go here in place of tweets. Maybe we'll break with 15 years worth of Lovecast tradition and read an email every once in a while, so long as they're short. Or maybe we'll read comments posted on Instagram or Facebook. Not that Meta isn't evil. Meta also evil, but right now seems less evil. You can also leave comments, tweet length or longer, about the show at my own website, savage.love, where there's a comment thread, not just on every column, but on every episode of the Savage Lovecast as well. And next week, we will read some of those comments instead of the tweets. All right, let's get to those listener response calls. This is a response to the caller who is pregnant and their spouse is drinking. I think Darren gave you good advice. I think you should get yourself out of the situation. My child's father was an addict also. And the first time I left, my child was four months old. We went back and forth for a couple of years before I finally broke it off. And even with going into inpatient treatment, my child's father was never able to kick their habits, alcohol and multiple drug addictions. So I think you can hope that your partner can get help, but the only person you have control over is you. And you got to focus on what you want and what you need right now to get yourself and your baby safe. The other thing I just want to point out is that addicts do not like when you set boundaries. Even if they're totally reasonable boundaries around health and safety. So expect a lot of pushback. Get yourself a really good lawyer. You don't have to be an aggressive asshole. But even if you set the most basic boundary, you can expect a huge, huge pushback. I would really recommend you get yourself a counselor to start dealing with some of the history stuff with your family. So get yourself strong, get yourself safe, get that support and lawyer up and uh, get out of there. Hi, Dan. This is a response call for the person who is dealing with sexist comments at work and can't speak up about it. I deal with this all the time in corporate America. One thing I found helpful is to ask them to explain the joke they just made. Just say, oh, I don't get it. What's the joke? And I've watched people crumble within themselves at the thought of having to say out loud the racist, homophobic, or sexist things without the coverage and the veil of a joke. It still will be awkward, but usually they'll just say, oh, (laughs) never mind, and move on to something else. Maybe it doesn't teach them the lesson that you'd like to, but it at least gets them to shut up. Hi, this is a response to the caller with a ticklish butthole. I wanted to add another thing you didn't mention, Dan, and that is be aroused first. We are less ticklish when we are aroused. I get ticklish when my partner licks my asshole without being very turned on. So start with being turned on in other ways and then move to the asshole. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064 and you can go to savage.love and leave a comment about this week's show under this week's show. 
Savage Love Live. I will be doing Savage Love Live this Thursday, December 22nd, noon Pacific time. Savage Love Live is a Zoom show with Nancy, my mean lesbian boss, Tracy, the tech-savvy at-risk youth, all exclusively for Magnum Lovecast subscribers. Magnum subs, links will go out over email on Thursday morning. We will also post the link at savage.love at the same time. We will see you all there on Thursday. We've got two holiday sales going on right now. First, give the gift of a Magnum subscription to the Savage Lovecast, which includes the Magnum Savage Lovecast, Maxi, Savage Love, events like Savage Love Live, and more. Right now, a gift Magnum sub is just 25 bucks instead of 40 for an entire year. Go to savage.love slash subscribe for more information. And Hump Early Bird tickets are on sale now for 20% off. Go to humpfilmfest.com for our tour schedule and to grab those tickets. Both sales end December 31st. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage, and you can follow me now on post.news at fakedansavage. And follow comedian Matteo Lane on Instagram at Matteo Lane. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.